How big are you? Party size. What are you into? I go anywhere. I don't do anything. That's cool. Hips or lips? Welcome back to Rotten Rewind, a podcast that believes behind every straight-laced beat cop is a secret freak who looks good in leather. We tether ourselves to the lower half of the Rotten Tomatoes catalog, so if a film ranks below the 60% score the website sets as its freshness standard, it's up for grabs for us to discuss here on the podcast. I'm Max Rue. And I'm Courtney Peranto. And today's episode is one of the very special Rotten Rewind bangers where we deep dive into just one film. This week, we're talking about William Friedkin's 1980 queer panic cult classic cruising starring Al Pacino. Is it his first appearance on the podcast? I don't know if we've ever done a Pacino. I think so, but listen, we got to do Jack and Jill someday. (laughs) I mean, there's definitely, yeah. There's there's an F of them. We're definitely going to do 88 minutes, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, returning to the podcast to talk about cruising with us is writer Casey Felton-Louis. Welcome back, dude. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be back and talking about this bizarre gay panic movie. Did you, did, did you flag this one as one that you wanted to do? I think so. I think I definitely wanted to def- to make an appearance for Pride Month. And yeah, I, Cruising is a movie that I had strong feelings about. So it seemed like a good fit. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a movie that I feel like it's hard to not have some sort of a strong feeling towards. Like you can't just really just be like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> like you can't just watch Cruising like kind of passively. It's um, actually a movie that I'm really <laughs> surprised is rotten. I didn't realize that it had such a... I didn't realize it was met with such disdain when it came out because I was introduced to it when I was in grad school for like film shit. And I feel like it's a movie that has been like adopted into the fold of like canonical movies at this point. And so like I was shown it almost like as a prestige movie. And then I realized that people didn't like it later. It's directed by William Friedkin. You know, his run in the 70s is pretty great i mean he does the french connection which he wins an oscar for and then the exorcist which i i never really got into the exorcist i don't know I it's never really maybe done I don't it for get me it. or maybe get like it? i do think i get it i just think that like we all are like from like a post exorcist for sure yeah so like I, if you so watch like, it now yeah. it's not scary it's just kind of silly yeah like i wonder what that movie is that really fucked us up or like affected us whether it be like a scary movie or whatever that won't it will age in a way that people like kids like gen z will be like who fucking cares or whatever even is like after gen z valentine Um, with david borneanis with david borneanis (laughs) (laughs) listen guys i'm gonna show you the scariest fucking movie i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what that would be for us i guess probably i mean the blair witch project obviously yeah that that was a big deal when it came out in the sixth sense the sixth sense that bathroom scene still kind of freaks me out think that the sixth sense like is kind of good but yeah there's things about the exorcist that seem pretty goofy people think hereditary is really scary i was gonna say for me it might be hereditary but i don't know if that's gonna age goofy i don't think it will i think that movie is just really funny though like i didn't I really find don't. it scary I feel like there's jump scares in it but like i don't know I, I i i'm sorry i still think the strangers is scarier than all those movies i don't know i guess it depends on what you're afraid of yeah yeah that's true i mean i'm afraid case, of getting it, caught 
so I think that like moment in hereditary where he just like panics and just goes to sleep and we have to wait for the mom to discover the body <laughs> like that, that to me is like, so that, that is, it follows my actual nightmares that I have are very similar. It's like, I do something wrong and I try to hide it, but poorly. And then I just wait to, to be caught. And those are most of my nightmares. And so that movie like hit, but there's something, yeah, but there's something about like the exorcist that also like, I'm not a religious person, nor was I raised religious. So I think that there's something like subversive about it, especially at the time that again, like we grew up like in the Madonna, like post Madonna, like a prayer video. So it's like, I think that that's also been sort of diluted in culture. Like just the, yeah, I guess if you're more just like freaked out by stuff like that, like I, I, went to catholic school but i wasn't really raised religious and oh, so yeah, i, I just never that. really yeah I'm gonna go the demons little, don't do it for you the demons <laughs> i got plenty of demons and they're not yeah. the <laughs> so when i when i was a kid i was you know i was raised evangelical so for me wow. demons were quite scary because they were very real so yeah like i remember um what is that what is that movie? End of it's Days like a, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, no, the one that's about uh, demon possession and uh, oh, the Exorcism the, of Emily Rose. That. Is it the one with the girl from Dexter? Sorry, yeah, the yes, from Dexter. yeah. Uh huh. That movie legitimately like freaked me out when I when I watched it. And I don't even think it's considered like a great movie, but I don't. I actually don't. I think, think people kind of like it. Yeah, I think people but, liked it when it came out. Yeah, well, that's good. Aren't both of those cases sort of based on like the same person who actually it's had rotten, like epilepsy? So we can talk about it. It's forty four percent. Well, I'd love to come back for that one. I had. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, we should just do movies that that woman was in, like that Deb, Deb from Dexter. Jennifer fucking, Carpenter series. Yeah, guys, yeah, we're yeah. doing Jennifer Carpenter <laughs> all month long. Quarantine. We could do quarantine <laughs> i actually worked on a show as an assistant jennifer carpenter oh that's one, right one of the leads on so is she cool from what i remember i believe so yeah i think she she's a let's mom get her now, on so she's, i think she's you know very much like they just had her say some of the most embarrassing lines in dexter so i kind of yeah. have to like respect her and i'm like that's hard i guess it depends on what you're scared of and if you're scared of gay people cruising, cruising is is terrifying you're gonna be real freaked out yeah <laughs> oh my god Should we jump into the plot of cruising? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. A New York City detective in search of a killer is about to disappear into the night. An odyssey to the edge of city life. What he sees what he feels. I don't think I can do the job, Captain. I don't think I can handle it. This is stuff going down. I don't think I can... uh, I can deal with it. What he experiences. What he discovers will change his life forever. Al Pacino. Cruising. Set in New York's West Village, Cruising tracks the movements of a serial killer targeting young gay men in their neighborhoods happening gay bars. <laughs> I think they were happening. happening. These gay bars are happening. <laughs> 
He's only striking at bars that are happening. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Just so you know. Uh, As bodies and body parts continue to surface, the cops cook up a plan to tap one of their own to go deep undercover and masquerade as twink bait for the killer. (laughs) (laughs) Officer Burns, we just think you're the twinkiest guy in the department. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Steve Burns, played by Al Pacino, takes the dangerous case to to further his career. which is weird <laughs> and delves uh, trepidatiously into leather bound, the leather bound scene of the meatpacking district's nightlife. During his mission, Steve must confront both a potential murderer and the delicate concept of his own masculinity. He's getting gay. Yeah. Like I said earlier, like I am surprised this movie is rotten, I guess, because of how I came to it, but it's at 50%. So as far as like a movie that we do, it has, mixed reviews not it, just. well i think it's it's rating has only gone up because i think it's been kind of re-appreciated over so the too. years but when it came out the critics were they had their knives out so you didn't know about the controversy around this movie no wow they didn't I, teach I, you that in film school no so i think i watched it in conjunction with summer of sam like i think that i read oh, a piece okay. where about Spike Lee's Summer of Sam, where cruising was mentioned. And right. I was like a very diligent student. And so then I went back and watched cruising. And then I went and watched Mr. Goodbar, looking for Mr. Good, searching for, looking for? Looking for Mr. Goodbar, yeah. yeah. DMing Mr. Goodbar. And <laughs> <laughs> that's my remake. <laughs> it's the remake with Alison Brie. <laughs> <laughs> so like in the light of like that triptych of movies, I think that I, I like my purview into cruising was sort of like skewed and different, which is me saying that like, even though I understand that the politics are like super fucked of this movie, like I, I kind of like it. Yeah. I don't think it's a, like a poorly made movie or anything. I, I think it's a movie about gay men that is, I, I'm assuming the director is not gay as far as we know. <laughs> no, right? William Friedkin is definitely not gay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was my assumption. That's what, how, how it comes across and, and it, you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And then at a time when I, I, as far as I know, this, you know, 1980 wasn't like a, a time where there was a ton of gay media floating around. This seems to be a movie that was introducing a lot of audiences to, you know, gay culture, uh, particularly gay male culture in New York City. And, right. uh, you know, the, the seediest, almost like hor- horrific way. Yeah, it, this is the second time I had seen it because I think we watched it actually the first time together a couple of years yeah. ago. Because mm-hmm. I'd never seen it. And then I rewatched it because they just put it on the Criterion channel for Pride Month. Wow, they copied us. <laughs> they really put it on for Pride Month? Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's a queer movie. It's it is a queer yeah, movie. Yeah. I mean, made by a straight man. But, you know, listen, it's... <laughs> well, so I have, like, mixed feelings about it. The first time I watched it, I had a really strongly negative reaction to it. I mean, I laughed about it, but at the same time, it was also very (laughs) disturbing because, you know, I knowing what, you know, this was a pre AIDS pandemic movie, like just before AIDS became, you know, something that was being reported on the news. And then subsequently the decade for, you know, gay men was very much about surviving this incurable and terrifying disease meanwhile the government and the average american couldn't give a fuck if you live or die so you know contextually like for me it 
it was really disturbing, right. you know, watching it again, you know, before coming on this podcast, it, I definitely appreciated a lot more, you know, knowing where the story was going and, uh, and I could, you know, pay attention a little bit more to the filmmaking aspect of it. I don't think it's like a poorly made movie, but you know, it's hard for me to like it because it just feels so horrific, but I also am glad that it exists because I do feel like this is very much how a time capsule for how people viewed gay men at the time, mm -hmm. you know, right. with the little information that they had it, it to me, I think that, you know, as a queer person, I feel like it's a good thing to have watched it because you know, as a younger queer person, I wasn't born in the eighties. So I feel like it's, you know, kind of a responsibility to like look at media and how, you know, gay people were portrayed at this time and be, you know, aware of what gay people were going through. And as we continue to like fight for, you know, basic rights and recognition, I think it's definitely like incredibly interesting Especially to look at. Like this movie, I don't, I think that this movie sort of like in the same way that like almost the help thinks that it's, it has its like heart in the right place. Or when, when people say like, oh, I think they have a good heart, which is, I, I really detest when people say that because they usually are defending someone that has just like been offensive or hurtful. I think that this movie thinks that it's, it has a good heart because like there's that not flatmate, but the, his neighbor character, I think is supposed to be Ted. Yeah, I think you're supposed to really be like, wow. And you're not supposed to like Ted. You're supposed to think, wow, Steve is so great because he's friends with, like, Ted is not unimportant. I really uh -huh. like his character. Ted is a big highlight for this movie for me. But he's I, definitely yeah. included to, like, make Steve more relatable and sweet in the same way that, like, oh, like, Sam is used to make Humphrey Bogart's character more, like, more relatable and sweet in Casablanca. Oh, yeah, like, it's yeah. not about the character itself. It's, like, how it reflects on like the sure. straight right, male. Right. Yeah, lead. it's tokenism, right? So, but Ted is supposed to be the good, the good gay man, right? Like, and he tells the cops. <laughs> He's one of the good ones. It like, seems like very clear that that character within the film represents you know, he is a writer and he lives like with a long-term, yeah, he's like a lot, he's an artist. He lives long with a long-term, seemingly long-term partner, mm -hmm. Greg. But we like quickly find out that that character is in a pretty abusive relationship. So it's like not even, I don't know. It's like, they, I feel like Ted is supposed to be, you know, the the better gay guy and, mm -hmm. and he's still not even I think his really boyfriend is human. Ja yeah, his boyfriend is James Remar, who... Dexter connection is the dad on Dexter. Oh, that is oh, that's him. him. There's a few actors Holy that pop up shit. in like early parts like Doesn't him. Doesn't he also then... fuck Kim Cattrall in uh, Sex and the City? Possibly. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. James okay. does fuck. Speaking of TV dads, isn't the uh, the friend of the guy at the end, it's the dad from Boy Meets World? For real? <laughs> Wait, is it? Yeah, the curly hair guy when, he, when they're in... Um, I'm blanking on his name. What is his name? Stanley? Is Stanley the guy that we that well, we that's, go after later? Yeah. So we should talk about the fact that there's something that's a little, I think it's an interesting choice, but it it's it's a little goofy to me the way that it actually comes out in the movie. Like there's clearly some scenes missing or something, but like mm -hmm. Friedkin's way of shooting the killer is to have Basically, it's it's kind of shown that there are multiple killers. There's not just one. Yeah. And he has actors that play the victims. He'll have an actor play the killer and then play a victim in the next scene. So it's a little confusing. And they all kind of look very similar because the whole thing like is like Lou to create. Reed. They all look like who? Lou Reed. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then that's why they hire Pacino because he looks like them and he like fits the type that the killer is going well, after. And, and doesn't that scene where Pacino's character is like being interviewed by his department head, the chief? Paul Servino? Yeah. Doesn't that like don't you feel like that is what deep cover is referencing later on because it's almost the exact same scene probably no i'm not kidding where they're like interviewing um potential cops to send on this deep cover mission he asks him like have you ever gotten your dick sucked by by a dude yeah he says you ever had your cock sucked by a man you ever been porked or had your pole smoked by a guy (laughs) have you ever had your cock sucked by a man a man (laughs) no uh Ever been porked? Or had a man smoke your pole? <laughs> you gotta be kidding. <laughs> yeah, you're kidding. I know it. Uh... No. No? Well, um, you got the wrong guy, I guess. Yeah, and so it's like judging by the reaction that the the cop being interviewed has, like that's, it shows why Steve Burns is the most suitable. And then like later on when we get to deep cover, I mean, it's like almost exactly the same where I like, I will not repeat what what is asked to those black cops, but it's like the same thing. Right. It's the same scene. Well, like, I think I, that a lot of movies like this have like, this movie kind of does like go through the motions of like the prototypical like going undercover movie. It just happens to be about like an underworld at the time was unseen i mean like there is like the classic scene halfway through where he's like you know i'm so deep undercover like i don't yeah. know who I, I, am know who I am anymore but that scene is kind of like sinister because he's basically like it's basically like that scene but he's like i think i'm getting gay and like i don't know what's going on with me he basically is implying like i'm having these crazy thoughts <laughs> you're just like i don't understand are you just trying to say that you're confused about your sexuality or like you're maybe like open to things that you didn't think you were open to but the way that it's portrayed it's funny to see it through the lens of the like basically like the scene of the departed with DiCaprio where he's like, I don't know what's going on, right? <laughs> you know, with his handler, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. You see the same thing in like Judas and the black Messiah for like a recent movie. It's like, they all kind of go through the motion of those scenes. This one just happens to be kind of silly because he's basically saying, I think I'm gay. Yeah. Or at least like questioning or, you know, like just on the scale a little more than he thought he was. And yeah, like, and I guess like we should probably talk about like the girlfriend character. That's just Aaron Allen. <laughs> yeah. Like woven throughout the movie because I feel like the movie again like feels like it needs to show him fuck a girl a few times and it needs to show and it needs to like recuperate that relationship by the end we need to see him with girl that's freaking writing the strip we must see him have sex with girl I mean I really do think yeah (laughs) I think that it was important on the note of about you know the fact that he his sexuality becomes you know, something that we have to pay a lot of attention to throughout the movie. I didn't realize until last night I was researching a little bit and I didn't realize that this movie is based on a book. Yeah, it's uh, a very different setup. Yeah, so the novel, I guess, is about a same thing, undercover cop looking for a gay serial killer in New York. But it's also written in the 60s. Yes, well, and then, but important, a really important thing that I that I didn't know is that while working undercover, the cop in the book um, does develop feelings for his neighbor. So I'm assuming that would be oh, like a, the Ted right. type of character. So that is something that is actually like very clear in the book, and I think is heavily, like, I mean, heavily implied in the in the movie. Uh, to the movie's credit, like it does as, as like regressive as it is 
in its politics, it also does not think that the cops are like the good guys. No, I think that yeah. that's something that the movie does kind of do is that, and Free can even acknowledge where he was like, it's not like I made a pro cop movie. He's like, if anything, yeah. he's like, I think cops end up looking the worst out of anybody in this movie, like, which is interesting too, because then when you look at like how he prepared for the movie, like most of his source resources for the movie that he had around were cops. So he talked to like a detective who had gone undercover for a similar case who said that he started to question his sexuality. And like, that was like his main source for the movie. It, it's telling that he didn't really reach out to any queer people yeah. to be like, hey, what do you think of this? But I think that, you know, like a lot of the people that worked on the movie, like all the extras in the in this the bar scenes were people that really actually frequented those bars. But then you did still have queer people that were protesting the movie all the time. It seems like just from what I was reading, it came across like it was two different parts of the queer community, especially for gay men that were kind of at odds with the movie. Like I get both sides of it. Like I get being like, no, this is like, you know, like I get being like, no, 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 like we'll be like a part of this and we'll like, you know, try to make this as authentic as possible. But it is a very particular subculture of a community that, like you said, Casey, like wasn't really in the mainstream culture, especially in movies at that time. So yeah, as like giving this as like the first introduction to that for like a mainstream culture and for film audiences going to see essentially like a murder mystery. Yeah. I can see where you would be like, maybe... And they're not just gay bars. They're like like leather daddy gay bars. Like yeah, there's a guy getting fisted in the swing. I mean yeah, it's, yeah. This is not like every. This is not a gay bar. These are all like hardcore. Like S and M bars. Yeah. Yeah. King clubs. I think that there's a there's a reality where this a movie like this could exist, you know, um, alongside other representations of gay people mm-hmm. and gay men specifically. And that's just not the world that this movie came into. And and I think it it's just reflected in the in the filmmaking. It's unfortunate that like even the even the depictions that aren't even about of gay men and, and that aren't even about the clubs and and the and the murder right. that seems to be happening everywhere are also kind of insidious like there is no i don't feel like there's really any humanity afforded to the to the gay characters like generally in the, in the movie so i think i feel like there's the, just no humanity in the movie yeah yeah i, I mean this i do true. i like it when it's just sort of a character study of the pacino character like that scene where he's just trying to figure out the coding of the handkerchiefs i really mm-hmm. like because With i don't booth. yeah like i don't <laughs> think that he's passing judgment there like he really is just like trying to study and those are the scenes that i like the most it's like when he's just sort of captivated by gayness and is like trotting it out and then you also realize that he's like self-conscious that he's like doing it wrong. Like he like, you know, like he kind of <laughs> has to give himself his own she's all that gay makeover. And <laughs> I wish, I wish the movie. Montage. Yeah, like I wish the movie could like lean into that more, but well, like, th- that's when I think it's at its height. Mm-hmm. And I and I do think that like the characters, the characters that I forget this character's name because I don't think the movie thinks that they are important, but the trans character is like sweet. The police like, station like, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, you like that's like kind of when you realize that this movie doesn't like the cops. The opening of the film is two cops. One of them who's like oh, yeah. his bitch wife left him or something. They're like <laughs> talking shit about his wife. And then what they 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 go pick up two trans women who are apparently known to them as sex workers, people that they've arrested before. Yeah. And then basically they are about to, uh, you know, force them to 
give them blowjobs. So there, it's a, it's like a predatory pre-rape scene, basically. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, guess that's I did based a- on a real group of cops called the Pussy Posse, which is I'm pretty yeah. sure what Leonardo DiCaprio's group of friends were. I was gonna say that was then- Leonardo DiCaprio and Toby Maguire's. Well, like- the fucking NYPD did it first. So <laughs> <laughs> they the original that's Pussy disgusting. Posse. Yeah, they were called the Pussy Posse. They apparently drove around those areas and would fuck with queer and trans people and prostitutes. So yeah, I mean, the cops are definitely not depicted sympathetically. Also, the opening scene I totally forgot about is so fucking funny to me. This fucking idiot cop goes to a corner. <laughs> also in real life, apparently this is the first time that a movie was ever really allowed to shoot in an actual coroner's office. Like before oh, that, they were never wow. allowed to. Very weird. And then I guess they got in trouble for it. But I love this fucking stupid cop literally brings in a severed arm and he looks and he looks at the body. He's looking at the arm. He looks at the corner. He's like, so what do you think? Suicide? It's an <laughs> arm. It's just a severed arm. And the guy's the corner's like, no. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> why would this be a suicide? And then he's like pissed off. And he's like, now I got to go find the rest of the body. He's like really put out by it. And the corner's like, yeah, you do. I don't, I can't do anything with this. Like, what do you mean? But yeah, every cop in this is like either a fucking piece of shit or an idiot or like Pacino is just like this naive, like beat cop who just gets that He just out. wants to ascend that. And so basically like if he takes this like dangerous and somewhat like in the movie's purview like degrading task then it'll like skip him a few steps and he'll get to i mean and then like it'll skip him a few steps and then he'll get to like ascend to like hetero middle classness which is like what he really 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 wants in almost like a suspicious way it's like why does he want that so badly once he's sort of like in undercover i mean i think that the movie does a good job where it's like i do stop thinking about him as a cop because it just does seem like he's a student at that point and i like i like the case yeah like that's when i think that and you're right like it is funny and i wish the movie was like a little more funny throughout but it's like unintentionally funny just because it's so hysterical and like weirdly conservative in in its way like i think it kind of reminded me of what my friend jake was telling was said about that movie london has fallen where he's like it's so racist and xenophobic that it almost becomes woke it like almost comes full circle circle. around and cruising to me is almost so homophobic and paranoid that it almost comes full circle to being like actually maybe it's (laughs) yeah yeah, kind of like i don't know what this is i agree i mean (laughs) the second that you know watching this movie for a second time i definitely like i said it it feels like it portrays like a very specific point of view and i uh, honestly i feel like this is still in people's heads to some degree like some people i do think still think of gay men as this very specific subculture within yeah you know homosexuality it's like you know overrepresented i don't think we've actually come that far you know as we think but um no like queer eye for the straight guy or was queer eye but they eliminated like the the tail end of that sentence is like a show again that recuperates like shitty homophobic people (laughs) you know like i mean that is what that show is it's just like oh this guy seems like he'd be a real dirtbag and we're gonna show him by like giving him a makeover that we're human beings too like like the artifact that this reminded me of besides like the movies i already mentioned was that sort of like mm, i kind of think horrible james franco television show oh the deuce who would have thought right yeah i did not know (laughs) it was called that like because that's also about like sex workers and pornography but i think that like that show is so self-serious and like just I never Smug. finished it. I think I watched oh, the pilot I, I didn't finish it and I was, I apparently it got good in the second season, but I just didn't really care. Disagree. And 
I do love that part of the reason that they want to stop the killer, which I think is actually really revealing and funny, is that like Paul Servino's superior at the at the police station is like, you gotta, you gotta get this gay shit out of here before the Democrats are in town for the convention. Like they want to stop this mm-hmm. before the Democratic convention because like we can't have this guy killing all these gay people. Well, uh, they don't know for sure if so like there's actual physical bodies piling up that have been like stabbed in the back, and then there's just like random body parts, and they don't really know if they're connected at all. And I don't feel like that is ever shirt up they're just like let's see if we stop this from happening if it will stop something else from happening too they're dumb as fuck well it also seems like the position of the movie is that this type of like you know we think it's a serial killer that we're looking for but it seems like this kind of this type of violence is sort of part and parcel with the gay male community right. anyway like it, there is really no distinction between the two so snm and right. gay male culture is is the same as killing people it seems like one of the reviews that i read that was really interesting was from armin white and he talked about the stabbing in the back and how it was like a metaphor for anal sex and how he was just like this is so like hysterical and just ridiculous he also had a really good quote about the scene that i was talking about earlier where you know the like i'm so deep undercover i don't know who i am Mm -hmm. anymore scene armin white said cruising is such a textbook example of gay panic that its story about detective burns's mental disintegration parallels squeamishness about minority sexual practices when burns complains to his commanding officer i can't understand it things are happening to me it sounds like fear of contagion yeah that is kind of like how it comes off like it's just so and what the killer says more than once like right before he kills it like before he like stabs him in the back is you made me do that like you you're making me do yeah you're making me do and then it it taps into these like kind of like uh, father issues which also feels like kind of like not to say that there's not like a truth in that obviously but it definitely feels like a cliche maybe at the time it didn't but like this idea of like like a guy who's questioning his sexuality who has internalized homophobia killing gay men in this community because of how he was raised by his father and what was said to him the killer later when he's caught it's revealed as the cops are going through his apartment he his his father is dead and he's been writing letters to his dead father so right and he like he hears has a, a voice relationship it, with his with his father very clearly it becomes like a weird norman bates thing almost where it's like he's hearing his father's voice telling him what to do oh, yeah. and he's yeah. like basically like you're going to be so proud of me when you see all these gay guys I killed or something. Yeah, like it's, it's really dark. And then, sorry, just really quickly also, because you were talking about, I think the humanism in the movie and how you, there's really no humanity in it. That was another some, that was another part of the review that Armin White brought up where he said Burns stays enigmatic about his plane's close mission while parading his leather outfit in front of Alan, copulating viciously, dancing embarrassingly. <laughs> I love that da- dance scene. Well, he just says exactly what aspect of humanity is Pacino trying to show us in this movie. Like he doesn't right. really understand like what we're supposed to be seeing here. And he talked a lot about like Dog Day Afternoon and how that was like a really great performance and betrayal of a bisexual man, you know, in the 70s and was definitely like very ahead is of it, its time. Is that a portrayal of a bisexual man? I I, I, am I understanding? Dog afternoon? Yeah, yeah, he has a wife and he has a, doesn't he have like several people that he's like but romantically could, involved with in the movie? Doesn't yeah. Like- I, it's been a while since I've seen Dog Day Afternoon, but mm-hmm. as far, I know that he's obviously robbing, you know, the bank to get money for his partner's operation. I think I that the movie does show that he has like relationships with several people and the the movie itself doesn't right. seem to like project any judgment on that. It just seems to yeah, be no. sort of matter of fact about his sexuality where obviously like right. this one, well, the so, purview yeah. is like, it's nasty. Right, but, but I don't really think that's Pacino's fault. I don't think that what this movie is doing wrong 
is like on Pacino. Like, I think that that is just the vantage point of like freaking. For sure. It's it's a pretty restrained performance for Pacino too, especially this is like right around the time of Scarface. And so well, this, you know. I mean, Dog Day Afternoon is about, he's robbing a bank and part of the reason is because uh, his girlfriend needs a, an operation mm-hmm. and she's trans. So, yeah. but I, but on that note, I mean, the idea that I was curious, like why we see in, in this, in cruising, we see trans women being portrayed and historically trans women have been lumped together with gay men because you know people that aren't part of the community tend to lump those two groups together i'm thinking like that's why i was asking the question about the sexuality because because he's attracted to a trans woman that's like he's queered by that right in dog day in dog day afternoon yeah like that's a the idea that that being attracted to a trans woman makes you no, you're right. You're homosexual right. in right. some way. Right. When in fact we it, we should know like at this point that that's uh, a misconception. Yeah, it had, like I said, it had been a while since I seen it and I couldn't quite remember if they were if they specified that. I was just going off of Armin White's review where he identifies him as bisexual, but Armin White is also for as many good points as he can make and also definitely not do his homework on certain things. Maybe I was also kind of some... I missed that in there. I just wanted to point out that just because no, yeah, for sure. woman, that it doesn't make him bisexual. I mean, that is how the movie comes off to me where it's like Friedkin obviously is a great director. He can also be horrible as we know, because we talked about Jade on this podcast oh, last summer. So that Friedkin's... was one of the worst movies that we've ever done. Oh yeah, it's a horrible, it's, it's, I mean, that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. It's horrible. It's a fuck house. You know, and like, I think that this is like somewhere in the middle. It's like, it's like, I think it's like, fine like as far as like from a filmmaking standpoint i think it has some really great visual ideas in it but like i don't know i still think that like something like sorcerer like to live and die in la or the french connection to me are like freaking his best like especially i just read killer joe yeah killer joe like his new stuff even like the french connection which i i hadn't seen so long and i rewatched it last year it's it's perfect it's just like watching it now like a movie that's you know 50 years old and and seeing it now and seeing like the technique that he brings to that movie and how he basically gives birth to you know it's like the cliche he gives birth like the modern car chase in that movie and like i mean it's incredible like he can do he can do such incredible work i guess he's just one of those examples of a director that's like sometimes it takes someone really really talented to make something really really bad and that's what jade is in a way and uh, yeah i think that this movie though like if you're interested in freaking like it's almost like a must see like i think that you're right As far as like his capabilities, it is sort of middling, but it is also such a weird artifact that I kind of feel like it's a movie that, I don't know, people should see yeah because it is like a i don't know just like a weird little oddity in the same way that like i i really don't like looking for mr Goodbar. Right? Right. i like i think it's like just like traumatic i just dislike that they're movie. both kind of like cons- weirdly conservative like cautionary tales about that time about they being are. Like promiscuous in, in new york and in, in that era and like and looking for mr Goodbar has like such a i think there's something really permeates that whole movie that's really icky and dangerous feeling mm-hmm. and you just can't like it kind of made me feel anxious watching it and especially the last 20 minutes of that movie are just so i that actually as far as something that's affected me like that affected me more than any horror movie i've seen in a long time like the ending of that movie really 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 upset me but i feel like they're both like i don't know they make me grateful for like how far we've come like i'm just like oh movies about women having sex just freely don't have to end this way anymore and so like and they're also it's also based on a book and unfortunately a true story but it's more about how like the media then portrayed that story i was like also 
weirdly like listening to this horrible true crime podcast called The Doodler about a serial killer. I know. I don't know about a serial killer in San Francisco around this time, like this time period, like 70s, that was actually was like picking off gay men and there's like some similarities where it's like there was an actor like there's like some i don't know if this is at all based on that but it might be because a lot of it was based on case files he said he based this more okay. on case files than act than the book okay well the whole thing was he was more interested in the murder mystery aspect of it and then i think that when he was presented with the material and the early he got the script for this in 1970, like one when he was making French Connection and he was okay. like, I don't want to make this movie. I have no interest in this. And then by the time it came around to him again, he was like, okay, well, this was written in the 60s and this is so dated. Like, I, I, we have to change this. Do you know who was asked to direct this movie first uh, or after Friedkin? Steven Spielberg. I don't know why. <laughs> and Spielberg wanted to make it, but he couldn't get funding for it at the time. Like no one would make it with him. It was very, very weird. But the idea of a Steven Spielberg uh, cruising is- It would have been worse. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have been a lot worse. I just can't even imagine it. I just don't even, it doesn't like compute in my mind. I'm like, no, that's not real. Can we talk about the black cowboy? Yeah. Oh, yes. I would love to talk about that. I don't know who that was and it is never. (laughs) They don't know who he is. That's the best part of that scene is this giant six foot five black man in a cowboy hat and a jockstrap comes into the interrogation room where Pacino is pretending to not be a cop and to just be a guy who got picked up at a hotel with the suspected killer. Uh, And this black man says nothing. He just proceeds to slap Pacino across the face. Ah! What the hell was that? Did he show you his knife? What did he hit me for? Who paid for the room? What was that? Who paid for the room? What did he hit me for? Who paid for the room? I told you I did! He did! And both Pacino and the other actor have the most amazing reactions where Pacino just goes, why'd he do that? Why'd he hit me? And the other guy is freaking out going, who the fuck is that guy? He's almost like a Will Forte character. He's who is that guy? Ever see a knife like this, Skip? I see him every day and I give him out where I work. Do you have one like it? It's an insane scene. That guy is like fashion to look like, I don't know who does them. Like the artist that does like this kind of like incredible, like pulpy queer drawings. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. Oh man. Um, it's like this very specific aesthetic that's like amazing. And it's like very like leather daddy genre <laughs> stuff. And, I mean, it's so cool. Yeah, I was just wearing a jock strap and a cowboy hat. Like, and yeah. Boots and- but like, even like his, like his like stature and like even the way that he's muscular. Cause I think that this guy is definitely like, I don't know, like thicker and like, a good in like a hot way like he has kind of like he kind of looks like some of the gi joe cartoons from back in the day like he's kind of shaped like that the best part of that scene is that he this is a real cop who they used to he used to come in during interrogations dressed like that really this is a real thing and i guess william friedkin you know listen to his credit found that out and was like well that's insane I have to show this, but there's also like no context for it in the movie. So apparently they would have him come in during interrogations and they did this in part so that the perp would lose credibility when trying to complain about the detective's behavior. It was very extra curricular was the quote. I don't know what that does during an interrogation really, except have a giant black man in a jockstrap come in and slap someone. Um, So the point of it was to bring somebody in that was so bizarre that if they were telling this to someone else, nobody would believe them. I don't know. I mean, it says it's 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 credibility, right? I guess, yeah. Oh, Tom of Finland, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
that's the artist I was thinking of. Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's they're a... amazing drawings. Yeah, they're super <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah, that, I mean that scene is just absolutely one that like yeah, I mean it's hard to make sense of. It's funny because apparently there's 40 minutes cut off of this movie and that remained. They were like, we got to keep that. Well, and that scene continues to get crazy because after Pacino leaves and then interacts with that guy because they apparently know each other, so he's presumably another cop, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. They take the guy who's being, from what we can tell, falsely accused of being the serial killer. They tell him that they're gonna make him take his pants off and masturbate in front of them to get a semen sample which is also really crazy and there's like a floating ball no test. yeah they're like we're gonna put your balls in water to see if they're sterile. it's like it's a witch hunt it's like a witch it's like it's candle crazy. witch float but with his balls watch my lips get your pants down get them off we're gonna get a sample of your sperm then you're gonna take the floating ball test what's that we're gonna fill that sink with water and we're gonna dip your balls in it. and if they don't float you're our main man. And everyone knows that he's not the killer. And they just like go along with it because they're pieces of shit, it feels like. Like Pacino's is even like, this isn't the guy and the prints don't match. Yeah. But nevertheless, they're going to just- Well, like, and he starts to say that, yeah, he's like what in his kind of like, I'm going undercover for you, you know, scene. Like he's like, I I don't, you know, I did this to help you catch some a killer who's targeting people. I didn't do this to just pick random like gay guys off the street to bring in here and harass. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and then they're like- <laughs> What are you talking about? What do you mean you didn't sign up for this? Which, I mean, seems realistic. Yeah, that does seem real. Also, even the newspaper articles that are, like, people are reading about what's happening, like, the headlines on the front page just say in huge letters, gay killer still at large, which is really insane. And I don't know if that was really what the headlines would say. Um, I don't think that it would have been that publicized. Like, I think that... I don't think it would have been You know, like, that's, like, the most unrealistic thing about the movie is that That a news story... Yeah, 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 that mainstream media... Um, well, it makes sense in the alive. context of like, oh, we need to not have this going on when we have the Democratic convention in town, or we just, this is a bad look. Because um, that's really what they care about. They don't actually care about like, we need to stop somebody from killing these mm-hmm. queer men. And and I think that's something that people have written about a lot, especially with this movie is it's released in 1980. And it's the year before the AIDS epidemic really explodes in New York, especially. And you have this horrible decade plus of, of all these men that are dying and nobody fucking cares. And so the idea that there would be this movie about a serial killer targeting gay men that the cops are so hell-bent on catching i mean i don't even feel like in the movie it's like we understand that pacino it's important to his career and it's important to his uh captain that that they get to the bottom of this but overall like a, there's no real portrayal of like a panic even within the gay community itself it doesn't really like all these gay men are no. you know going off and and cruising you know in the park um, and in these clubs and and there isn't really like a second thought given to the fact that it could put them in danger which know, to me speaks killer. to the fact that it probably wouldn't have been in the news or publicized because mm-hmm. I think that that's a whole thing is that like these things aren't often talked about and that's something that's also similar to Summer of Sam which you were talking about like that was a big thing like with the son of Sam when he was on the loose in New York in the 70s people were still going out there was couples that knew like this guy's targeting couples and cars and they would mm-hmm. still go out in a car and make out or have sex like so yeah that's always going to be a part of it that people still as we've learned in the last year uh <laughs> Someone's telling you like, hey, don't do that because this could really hurt you. People are like, who gives a fuck? Like, I think that this movie and Summer of Sam and Looking for Mr. Goodbar are like a cool little triptych because I think that Summer of Sam does it consciously. Like, I think that they are all movies about what makes someone a victim. And this movie believes like 
you have like already opened the door to be victimized. Like if you are a gay man, a good bar feels like that if you're a promiscuous woman, and I would even say like a working promiscuous woman, the the movie really feels like it is almost like a contradiction in terms that she's both a teacher and sexually active. Like it feels like teachers should be dowdy and stay at home and knit and not fuck and come. And I think that, but I, I do think that like summer of Sam, by the time we get there, like Lee, even though he can like, I think fumble sometimes and like what I feel like his movies sometimes believe. Like I think that Summer Sam is actually like a pretty deft analysis of what makes someone like the victim. Right. And they all take place in like the same time period because Summer Sam is like a, it's a period piece. So yeah, I guess like I like cruising because I think that it like influenced other movies that I really, really love. However, like uh, yeah. the movie itself is sort of like a joyless, adventure i think that's the thing is that it's just not a very good like murder mystery even like the it'd be one thing if it was incredible like i wish that i no i'm like I'm, I'm not kidding at all like i wish i could be that free like while dancing like puffing a bandana re- and yeah <laughs> also william freaking i love that he went for research he went into a lot of these bars wearing only a jock strap he said and he said i was hands down the ugliest person in every bar so nobody had any interest in me but he like went into all these places in a jockstrap. I think something that's also really interesting that I was reading about um, is that, and something I didn't know and I'd love to know more about actually is the fact that most gay bars in New York City were owned by the mafia. Really? Yeah. I think that's super fascinating. I would love to know more about that. Like that was something that I was reading. I was really? like, oh, where's the movie about that? Or where's the documentary about that? Like, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting to read that though. But also Freakin ended up getting like barred from a bunch of the more like popular gay bars that were supposed to be featured in the movie. Uh, Mineshaft and Eagle's Nest, I guess, were the bigger ones that just completely barred him some were more because they knew he was making a movie yeah and i think that as uh, from what i could glean like the more that people in the community started talking about the the film the more that i think other i think queer people in the community started to feel like oh maybe i shouldn't have something to do with this even if they were on the fence about it they were just like okay i'm just not gonna have anything to do with this to be safe every day in this city dozens of gay people are beaten up come close to being murdered This film not only exaggerates that, it is almost an incitement to go out and murder people. We are not asking for Transamerica to withdraw this film from San Francisco. We're asking for them to withdraw it from uh, circulation, from from the country. I think it would be smart of the company who produced it to just do the country a service and withdraw it. But I wouldn't say withdraw something from a point of view of censorship, from a point of view of extremely poor taste. It's a piece of crap. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame because I don't think that there's anything wrong with this being involved in S&M, certainly. Like, right. it's no, a shame that you can't depict, that that he couldn't depict this subculture with any, like, sort of respect or humanity. But by and large, it all seems very, like, joyless in a weird way. Like, a lot of these scenes where these people are dancing and, like, on like openly fucking, which, I mean, I'm assuming if he went into these clubs, like, maybe some people were, like, hooking up in these clubs. But the way that in, in a lot of these clubs, you just see people in the background giving each other blowjobs and stuff it just seems so extreme to me i mean from what i've read and heard like that is a thing but like it's just it's just such an extreme example of something so i think that goes back to the whole thing of like you're representing a community that isn't seen often in film at that time and you're doing it with one of the most extreme examples possible that you can show yeah i mean i feel like the energy is like really frantic in those scenes too it's almost like the characters in the movie itself like wants to just like get it out of its system is like yeah. it's, it's there's I no mean, 
it's really similar to that scene in shame where it's like, oh, he's hit <laughs> rock bottom. It's like, it's almost like if that scene in shame was the entire movie, like he hits rock sure. bottom by going to a gay bar where it's like everything that he did previously in that movie is more of a cry for help than that. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the worst I think part of my shame. problem with it is that in the movie, there's like zero instances of gay sex that aren't shrouded in either secrecy or shame or like in these scenes, everyone's communicating with each other by like barking at each other mm-hmm. everything is shot in the dark in semi-public spaces there's no emotion or connection that's non-physical right you know that we get to see so it just feels very seedy in this way that it's like yeah of course that is one aspect of like sex that is possible but like not everybody in an snm club is completely each other <laughs> vacant and yeah, yeah fisting each other in a swing it, it just there's no it, it really feels like a the most dehumanizing portrayal of this community that you could possibly i do, guess which there is a was, shame because yeah. it is an interesting subculture for sure Especially because like even like i agree with everything you're saying and it's like those scenes where they're like publicly fucking and it's like portrayed as like you were saying, seedy, that's actually the safest that we can feel because once two people split off and go home, then they're going to act, then then you know that we are actually going to witness part of the murder mystery and a murder. So actually like the public sex that is like not flirtatious at all, almost like automatic and mechanical is the safest yeah. Because you're not a well, murder victim. And then, you know, right. the whole the whole thing is that cruising, like going to these spots like in a park that are usually, you know, off the beaten path because for the very good reason that you don't want cops or, you know, straight people to wander upon these gay men that are hooking up is because the culture at large is so homophobic and anti-gay that that's the only way that either closeted gay men could receive some sexual satisfaction or, you you know, gay men that maybe weren't closeted, like had a safe place to meet and engage with each other. Cruising in and of itself is something that is not like, if the culture at large wasn't so homophobic, it wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like gay men have been, have been chased into the shadows and that's why this became a thing in the first place. It's not because gay men are inherently deviant. You know what I mean? It's like, and I think that's what is really missing from this movie is the rest of the culture that has produced these other subcultures yeah because we only see like the shitty cops and his girlfriend and i feel like other than that we don't really have and any. she and literally also, has like three scenes and one of the scenes is they're so weird they we, break up in the weirdest way or like they don't even I, really need to be there except to show a dual life yes, that yes, he well, the juxtaposition of the one guy getting stabbed in the back in murder after you know, picking up this guy at the bar and then cutting to Pacino having very normal, you Vanilla-ish. know, yeah, like heterosexual sex with his girlfriend and her being just so into it. I know exactly what he's trying to say. So we, when he gets this first assignment from his captain, the following scene is him having sex with his girlfriend in a well-lit room. Mm-hmm. And right. that is one, he just got assigned to go undercover as a gay man in these sex clubs, basically. Right. So it's very important that we see the straight man being super straight with his straight girlfriend in a well-lit right. room. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. And it's very clear. Right. In, no, of course. In yeah, yeah. And every time we see that girlfriend after that, subsequently, they they are communicating. It's clear that they care about each other, even if it's not. It may be, you know, there's definitely a better version of that relationship. But there, every time we see her, we're in her bright, big, well-lit apartment. And it's just the two 
two of them. And it's so it's so starkly contrasted to all the all the gay sex that we see in the movie that it feels it could not be clearer to me that the, this is this is the, the sex that we're supposed to feel safe with. This is the acceptable sex. And then whereas these gay men are seedy, disgusting, well, deviant, we're not supposed to be looking at it. I'm just curious there, too, because I think it's something, too, that like I totally see that. And I think that that is how it absolutely comes off, whether that was intentional or not. That is subconsciously what is being shown to us. But I think that with William Friedkin, who's a really fucking fantastic visual and like technical director, he's a great great filmmaker would never dispute that i would never go to a william Friedkin movie for humanity i don't think that's something that he's ever really given us in any of his films so i think it's also an issue of him not being the right director for this project queer or not like he's just not a good fit for this material i don't think but i think that even if that's a conscious choice the problem is that in this movie a lot of the conscious decisions that he apparently made are a little muddled they're not ever quite clear so something like what you were just saying where it's like the juxtaposition of this well-lit room or we're supposed to feel safe that could have been an interesting conscious choice to show how we view sex and you know between a man and a woman or between two men and how these two you know how the men are kind of doing it late at night in the shadows they're kind of forced out and it's dangerous because their lives are at risk whereas here it's just this couple in this beautiful new york loft but it's not really clear if it's consciously doing that or not and i think that's the problem and i think the other issue is like once again with like the whole thing with like the killer being played by multiple people and then the victims also playing the killer it becomes a little confusing because it never feels like it's quite like set on that and it makes the plot a little hard to follow at times which i don't think is intentional but then also even Pacino, the ambiguity around his sexuality, it's just not quite there. It's not delved into like Pacino tries to give us, I think the most he can through his performance, but like the ending doesn't really land. No, the ending's weird. It ends with like, we think that the killer's found and then we're in her apartment again and they've like reunited and he says he's going to tell her everything. And then he's shaving and she's trying on his cop uniform. She puts on the leather. Yeah. She puts on like his leather outfit, but I think it's supposed to imply that he could also be a killer and that he's also capable of something. And that's something that just doesn't quite land and it sucks because I think that all those things that are kind of ambiguous about it are interesting and could have made a really interesting movie and that the more kind of hysterical even if unintentionally homophobic aspects of the movie could have been a little more easily forgiven for being like okay different time whatever straight director if those other ideas would have been just like focused on a little bit more don't you think that the ending too is like also a signal that like because he has let himself delve into gayness that like it's opened the door for the girlfriend character for nancy to like also like wear like literally like like wear the pants and like become the aggressor too because like the sex scene between them is it's just focused on her pleasure like you don't ever hear him like make a moaning noise or like the camera doesn't love his sex face it loves her sex face and like by the time that we get to the end like after we know that he has like experienced gayness i think that like her trying it on his shit like i think we're supposed to also believe that like now their relationship has been tainted by this outside thing and now he's in a space that is like typically female the bathroom looking at himself in the mirror and she's in his like leather daddy (laughs) 
they also kind of break up the, previously in the yeah. in the film. They also Pacino like comes over after the whole interrogation fallout, and he's you know pissed off at his captain for letting that happen, and he's saying that he's not here to you know just round up random gay men and you know get them into trouble. And then he goes over to Nancy's house. She is questioning whether he's even attracted to her anymore. And so I mean, I feel like it's pretty heavily impl- implying that his exposure to gay shit is mm-hmm. literally making him less manly. Or it's like you can't you can't like experiment or lean into any sort of like homosexual feelings while like holding a grasp on your head. It's like you only have 10 sex points and he was a 10 for pussy. And now that he's and like now he's like a five and a five. And so she feels like less. It's like you can want to fuck her just as much as you've ever wanted right. to fuck her. Like you can still be like, like, yeah, the movie is like really confused about that. But yeah, like once again, someone wrestling with their heterosexuality, especially in that time and especially in a profession like that like that could have been really interesting definitely but there was it's not organic whatsoever because when we do see him in these environments he's even still i mean until he dances he's very like on the outside of the looking in he's very voyeuristic Mm -hmm. even within these clubs like he's never really participating in anything and not even really engaging with people socially if he can't if he can avoid it you know right and then even when he catches on to the trail of the mm-hmm. killer that we end up with at the end, it be kind of it kind of becomes like a chase thing where he it it almost feels like he's it's half of him that wants to just catch this killer and the other half that is like sexually interested mm-hmm. in pursuing this guy and it becomes like both things. And then when it comes down to that climactic scene in the park where he stabs him, it does kind of almost build the scene up to be like, are they actually going to fuck or is yeah. he just going to arrest him or whatever? Well- a good line in that scene is like the dude asks like how big he is and Pacino's character says party size which I don't which know funny I don't that's big that. small or medium but yeah. but I was like it's a great line delivery too because he's just like I'm, I'm gonna start himself, using that I'm party size yeah I was like I don't actually know what that I don't know what that conveys um but bravo yeah, like yeah there's like some parts of the movie that I think are really funny I wish it had a little more like levity because I also think that in it's in Ted's mouth like there's a Shelly Winters line like a Shelly Winters dig where I was like oh that part like that dig at Shelly Winters feels actually like of a gay community like it's so sassy and funny and real yeah, did you sorry. guys have the experience of when you're watching the scene where he takes the guy that we're we believe is is the killer who he's been watching for he's been literally like looking through his window and breaking into his apartment to look through his shit right i had the feeling like i was watching it that it was like i still felt very unsure if that was the guy that was Same. actually killing we don't really know right, and then yeah yet, and then it, it it actually made me feel really bad when he pulls this guy into the park he starts taking his pants off the other guy is a lot more reserved about the mm-hmm. sexual encounter than he is and then Pacino is like pretty aggressive with him and he's a like let's get this over with vibe yes right. and then and then he stabs him Mm-hmm. I felt bad for the guy the whole time because I, right. even until they confirmed that when he's in the hospital room later that his prints were on a, a quarter from the porn theater where they found another body of somebody had killed. Like, we don't really know. And so I just, that whole scene to me reads really sad that this 
this gay man yeah. is being cornered in this park under the assumption that they're about to hook up. And right. I still don't think it's like a hundred percent sure that he's the killer. Right. And we never really get any, any satisfaction. It's like your thumb that. could be on any quarter. You Which know? I don't think is a problem, but once again, I think, I just think Friedkin doesn't know what he's doing here. Yeah. I think that he's just so tech, like he's such a like gifted director that like he can go into something like this and still make something watchable and like coherent for the most part. Like Jade is probably the most incoherent thing it's I've seen him do. Nuts. But like, this is still something where like, and I even read like in a Q&A for an anniversary, someone was trying to talk to him about the plot of the movie. And he it was, it said that it was during the Q&A that it was clear that freaking didn't really fully understand the plot of the movie himself. So I think <laughs> okay. he just doesn't, that's the thing. It's like, so he doesn't make this really tight, interesting, like murder mystery. And he doesn't really do justice to this community. Is Boys yeah. in the Band good? I've never seen it. Okay. Because it was like 10 it. years before this. Courtney, have you ever read Go Ask Alice? Did you ever read yes, that? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about it. But yeah, I do. I have that in my shelves. Yeah, I have. It, so it's this book. When did that come out? Like the 70s? This movie sure. kind of reminds me of a, of a Go Ask Alice in the sense that I feel like it's... Go Ask Alice was a, I believe, released. It was released in 71. Um, and it released as a diary of like a teenage girl who she becomes a drug addict when she's 15 and then basically runs away from home. But it was published as a real anonymous diary mm-hmm. and it was pretty popular <laughs> and i think that hmm. the function of the book was to caution young girls specifically i guess against like doing drugs it was yeah. like 71 i almost feel like when you finish this movie it's like you're having this go ask alice type <laughs> reaction to like oh well if you're gay there's you know you're gonna end up in a pool of blood because that's yeah. kind of what happens to gay men in this movie <laughs> Pretty much. Like even Ted, you know, who's in an abusive relationship, a verbally abusive relationship, as far as we know, at the end ends up in a pool of blood. So it's like. Right. I I think it's just, and once again, like, I think it's a case too of like Friedkin also not considering the implications or like anything surrounding what he was doing. Like, I don't think that he was really consciously thinking about like, I'm going to make a statement about anything, but it just is. I would assume that, you know, tons of gay men showing up, you know, outside of your set, um, you know, with whistles and bottles and, you know, shining lights into your set because they're so upset about what you're doing would be a hint. So it's not like he didn't know. Yeah. He, I guess, talked about the movie in retrospect at an anniversary showing. He said cruising came out around and at a time the gay liberation had made enormous strides among the general public. It also came out around the same time that AIDS has given a name. I simply used the background of the SNM world to do a murder mystery. It was based on a real case, but the timing of it was difficult because of what had been happening to gay people. Of course, it was not really set in a gay world. It was in the SNM world. But many critics who wrote for gay publications or the underground press felt that the film was not the best foot forward as far as gay liberation was concerned, and they were right. Now it's reevaluated as a film. Could be found uh, wanting as a film, but it no longer has to undergo the stigma of being an anti-gay screed, which it never was. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe that he intentionally did it. I just think that the homophobia and the culture was so normalized at the time that right. I don't know that anybody else could have like a straight director that wasn't um you know have a ha- that didn't have a particularly strong relationship to any queer community um, right. would be able to direct something like this and not be swept up in that because no, I think whether sure. con- I think subconsciously or not like it it just comes across as a very dark depiction of a community that really wasn't known yeah. then 
And I mean, I think that the S&M community is still very misunderstood right now. I'm assuming that neither of you are, are anybody familiar with the, the kink not. at pride discourse that happens. I've only seen like fleeting things about it. On okay. Twitter, yeah. Within different, you know, within the LGBTQ community, which I am part of, it seems to come up every year around pride, which, you know, June, that the idea that there shouldn't be displays of kink at pride. Some people feel very strongly that, and these are, some of these people are, are other queer people that mm-hmm. feel, and often from what I've seen, a lot of younger queer people taking issue with, you know, if you go to a pride event, there's definitely people that are wearing like leather gear. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they've got like a, like a puppy leather puppy mask on or on a leash or something like that. You know, these things that are related to kink, but in my opinion are pretty, you know, you're not watching people having sex in the street. Yeah, it's like kind of mainstreamed. Yeah, but I mean, this is still an ongoing conversation even within, among, you know, gay people, whether or not something like that is like even appropriate. And then, you know, meanwhile, it's like- To be presented at a pride event? Yeah, like, because, and it's a very, it's presented as very like, well, what if there are kids there? And like young queer people, they could be disturbed or off put by this. And it's, and it's not consensual. The the word consent has been brought up around a a lot of it. And it, because people have to like witness something that's like kink related. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, it's it's like almost like respectability politics, like in, oh Yeah. yeah, I had no idea. It's a, it's a conversation that has, I mean, back, it, it was from the Tumblr days, but it, it comes up now and I've been seeing it on TikTok because I, I get a lot of queer stuff shown to me mm-hmm. because, because of being queer, like it comes up on my page a lot and I, there are, there's a lot of, of discourse about this. And so it's interesting because this is a movie that like does depict and I think kind of homogenizes like gay men into being these like deviants. It almost seems like we're, we're still having that conversation <laughs> In some ways, like it, it is about looking proper to straight people, it seems like. And, and, you know, like, what about the children? And what if my kids have to see, you know, you being queer? And like, it, it's just interesting. Like, I don't how... fucking care about <laughs> well, your my kids. my <laughs> opinion is that, you know, it's not, I think that the, the kink community has been very much queer, kinky people are, have, are some of the people that started the original like Pride. And so those right. two things have always been inextricably linked. And as far as like straight eyes are concerned, I don't think that they always see a difference. So, I mean, it's interesting now as like white gay men are becoming, you know, the most socially acceptable, I think, among queer people. Right. Those, these people that are involved in these like subcommunities within the queer community are still even being stigmatized by other queer people is a shame. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just don't understand why people care. Yeah, I mean, I understand, like, if people were, you know, like having orgies in the streets, but that's just so it's such a history of what if anybody that's ever been to a pride knows that that's really not what's going down. But it's not it's not like the bars and cruising. No one. It's not like the no bars fisting. There's no fisting allowed. But it almost feels like it almost feels like a similar type of concern. Sure. You know, like I feel. Yeah. I was watching this last night and I couldn't stop thinking about like the fact that we're you know we're still having conversations about kind of similar stuff. I don't know. I, it's interesting because I'm 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 curious if you guys saw this in the performance, but Pacino talks a lot of had talked a lot about after this that he doesn't that he felt very uncomfortable while making the movie because the uh, the protests and he kind of was blindsided by uh. it. He 
had no idea. And so he felt throughout his performance that he was physically uncomfortable because yeah, he was I thought like, he I looked don't... like he was sick, but I thought that was intentional. Like I thought <laughs> that that was like the character. I think like, it works well. Yeah, me too. I like it I, does. I... It, it adds to his performance. You know, he said, basically he was like, listen, when I signed on to this movie, like I didn't feel it was anti-gay. I didn't you know, think that I didn't perceive it that way. And he said that, you know, leather bars were just a fragment of the gay community, the same way the mafia is a fragment of Italian American life referring to the Godfather and that he would never want to do anything to harm the gay community. Pacino seemed very like sensitive about it afterwards. And I mm-hmm. think he doesn't really like to talk about the movie very much. This and Jack and Jill are the ones he can't talk about. What's my name? Don Pacino. It's a whole new game. Based Don on Pacino. William Friedkin's thoughts about Al Pacino in this movie, it seems like they really did not get along. Oh. Pacino wanted to do the movie movie and was obviously like huge at the time and freaking did not want him he wanted richard gear who i actually that makes a lot of would have been sense. interesting he said that um richard gear had expressed stronger interest in the part and freakin had opened negotiations with gear's agent gear was freakin's first choice because he believed that gear would bring an androgynous quality to the role that pacino could not Gere's i don't think androgynous more... is the right word but like it fits within his wheelhouse a little better because i think he like right. gear made sort of like sexually explicit he will show his dick in movies movies um and th- i think this would have been if like a cool little book <laughs> yeah it's like the, like i think that he might have felt like he might have looked more at home in this world i i could totally see gear doing it, especially like that's year he does american gigolo like i think mm-hmm. that would have been an interesting choice i do think that the better choice for the director, another big guy from that time who wanted to direct it was Brian De Palma. But yeah. Friedkin was an Academy Award winner, you know, and they're all friends, obviously, all those guys. I think that De Palma would have, it definitely would have been campier. It's interesting that De Palma really wanted to do this movie and then they were like, no, so he does Dress to Kill instead. I think that's an interesting yeah. pivot to make a movie that is arguably like looked at as being transphobic now yeah. in hindsight. Um, I think that's one of his worst movies too. And I know people like it. I'm not a not, fan. It's, it's like a little too goofy for me. Yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like, I'm sorry, I can't take Michael Caine in that movie seriously. Same. <laughs> Freakin really wanted gear. And I think he was pissed off the whole time they were shooting that he was stuck with Pacino, which is funny to think because at that time, it, you probably wouldn't hear many directors saying, I'm pissed off that I don't have Richard Gere and I'm stuck right. with Al Pacino. Someone talked to William Friedkin at one of the anniversary showings and said, oh, like, you know, Pacino doesn't like to talk about this movie. And Friedkin responded by saying that's a good thing because he's not very eloquent. Whoa. Freakin's a dick. Freakin doesn't like, he'll just talk shit about everybody. He's just like a grumpy old man now. And he also said about Pacino, he said, I've never worked with an actor who was less prepared than Al Pacino. He adds that Pacino seemed to be following in the footsteps of Marlon Brando and not memorizing his lines and choosing instead to be spontaneous. It's definitely not one of Pacino's best performances. No. Um, it's it's surprisingly restrained for a Pacino performance, which I guess- Yeah, it's very be. restrained. You know, I was thinking about like all the complicated feelings I have about this movie, but I was wondering like, do I, if I can appreciate this movie as a, in, in a campy way, like, is this movie camp? I, I, no, I, it's too self-serious to be camp, yeah. right? Like, no, I don't there's, think it doesn't do smack at all. Like, I wish- I, I wish, wish that it was. That a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish that it was able to do that. And again, like with gear, like you could make it. I think gear like, and De Palma could have made something campy. Yeah, like think, soap opery and like pulpy and yeah. Obviously, yeah, like obviously De Palma can do camp and he can do like a murder mystery. I'm sure it would have looked incredible. I just don't think that Freakin is capable of that. I I wish he had a little bit more of what he has now with like the Killer Joe and, mm-hmm. and Bug vibes that he is kind of rolling with these days. I I definitely think that would have been fun to bring to this. It's a strange movie. It's just it's one that I think that like the knee jerk reaction, especially by younger people who probably discover it now is going to be like, oh, this is fucked up and this is offensive and this is homophobic. But I 
just think that it's obviously more complicated than that. And I think you have to think about the context of when the movie was made and yeah. making it. And the fact that he was approaching it purely from like, I want to make a murder mystery that happens yeah. to be in the SNM community, as opposed to like, I'm going to make a consciously like queer film about wrestling with masculinity. Um, but it's specifically the gay SNM community. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that there's been movies obviously in years afterwards that have touched on not this exact same plot, obviously, but I think that movies like one, once again, like Mysterious Skin, I think dabble with like male prostitution in, in a more sympathetic and complex way and show obviously the violence of it, but without making it feel like Excuse they're just being punished for that. Can I ask about these? What about them? What are they for? Well, like Blue Hank in your left back pocket means you want a blowjob. Right pocket means you give one. The green one left side says you're a hustler, right side you're a buyer. Yellow one, left side, means you give golden shower. Right side, you receive. The red one, oh, means you see anything you want. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and think about it. I'm sure you'll make the right choice. So yeah, it has a 50% audience score is lower, 48%. Metacritic, not that much higher, 53. I think starting with some more like kind of mixed reviews that were like, there was one that was more re written more recently by Nathan Raven at the AV club said it's in, it, in its shameless excavation and exploitation of the killer queen archetype, the homosexual so riddled with self-loathing and guilt that they feel an insatiable urge to kill and punish others. The film is bad politics and dodgy flawed filmmaking, but it's weirdly resonant and thoroughly haunting all the same. Roger Ebert at the time of the release gave it a mixed review, bordering on more negative, but he said, here's a movie that's well visualized that does a riveting job of exploring an authentic subculture that has a fairly high level of genuine suspense from beginning to end, and that then seems to make a conscious decision not to declare itself on its central subject. What is free can finally think his movie is about. And then Chaos and Collins wrote, what interests me so much is where the movie chooses to impress a clear sense of casualty upon us. The gay serial killer is a moving target, but the police violence is not. It's a one-to-one. -one victim to victimizer as it's as one-to-one -one victim to victimizer as it gets and it culminates with a knife a knife in the gut of an actor who earlier assumed the role of a victim who's speaking in the voice of his father which is the voice of the killer as he proclaims that he's killed no one at the climax of a movie in which both cruising and policing are acts of hyper-invested, hyper-invested looking, leering, lurking, and waiting. This is key to what proves terrifying about it for me in the end. This and the lack of center, the implicit promise of there being no end and no answer to the violence. Also, if nothing else, the protests that tried to get this movie shut down accomplished one thing. Hundreds of police were deployed to protect the shoot from the angry queers. So, not an anti-cop movie exactly, but rather a movie that understands an awful lot about them and puts its finger on a few of the mitigating realities circumscribing one aspect of one corner of underground queer life for better or worse accordingly i mean i want to watch that movie. like that makes that this movie like ultimately seem like a little more tied up than i think it is but yeah i like that i think that's a good point though like this idea like there's no end to the violence mm -hmm. and i guess that is one good thing that you can say about cruising is you can kind of project your own thoughts onto it which can sometimes be nice for a movie like this it's kind of complicated and like and yeah like it does kind of stay with you even though it's like kind of goofy and weird like yeah there is something very unsettling about it that sticks with you. But yeah, and then some just some negative reviews at the time of the movie. The Washington Post said, technically the movie is flawless. One scene in Central Park when Pacino confronts the murder suspect on a deserted rain slick path is haunting and beautifully photographed. But that's hardly a reason to sit through the rest of this wretched film. Time out. New York said the structure continues to loosen. And although Friedkin, like Coppola, has always had difficulty with endings, this one is so arbitrary. It's as if he just gave up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that there the ending is is sort of bizarre. 
but I don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem, it seems like intentionally bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I think that I probably would feel a little bit better about the movie if we didn't see Ted the neighbor in a pool of his own blood at the end. I feel yep. like that really kind of seals the deal on Friedkin's perspective for me on the, on, yeah. you know, on gay men in general. It just seems like this could be a story about a, a serial killer that's run amok in the SM community, the gay SM community in New York, and leave it at that. But it seems like gay men cannot escape brutality because it seems to be like part of the culture. Though I appreciate that we get to see cops, you know, in, in their natural habitat being scumbags, we never really see the the aftermath of the violence that the cops commit. You know, we see them sure. in the prelude to a rape scene against two trans sex workers, but really no, no meditation on the, on the implications of their violence. However, we just keep getting hit with these gay men brutalizing each other. And then David Anson in Newsweek, who reviewed it at the time of its release, said, what Friedkin's film is about is anybody's guess. If he just wanted to make a thriller, uh, he's made a clumsy and unconvincing one. If you wanted to explore the psychology of his characters, he's left out most of the relevant information. If he intended to illuminate the tricky subject of, of S&M, he hasn't even scratched the surface. Cruising is quite effective in working up an atmosphere of dread. The ominous bar scenes are butch grand guignol, full of sweaty flesh, menacing shadows, and barely glimpsed acts of degradation performed by glowering, bearded men in black leather and chains. But who are these people and why are they doing all these kinky things? Friedkin isn't interested in explaining his milieu. He merely offers it up as a superficially shocking tableau for the titillation and horror of his audience. Yeah, I mean, that seems that seems yeah. real. Just two really quick positive reviews for the movie. Um, Nathan Lee of The Village Voice wrote about this movie um, for its anniversary decades later and said cruising is a lurid fever dream of popper fumes, color-coded pocket hankies, hardcore disco frottage, and Crisco-coated forearms. Nowadays, when the naughtiest thing you can do in a New York gay club is light a cigarette, bracing, and let's admit it, it's pretty fucking hot to travel back to a moment when getting your ass plowed in public was as blasé as ordering a Red Bull. I mean, I think that's another thing too, is that, yeah, like the queer movies that we get now, and I think we talked about this a little bit with like Gregor Rocky's films last week. It's just like, they're so tame in comparison that it's kind of like scenes like this is like, well, I wouldn't mind something like this, but like done well, like that would yeah. be kind of exciting. Yeah, that's what I want. And again, for <laughs> like then not to lean into like Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Grady Hendrix of the New York Sun said, with over 72,000 AIDS deaths in New York to date, stands to reason that a large slice of the men you see in the club scenes are no longer with us. But here in the disco grottos behind their mustaches and mutton chops and leather behind their tough guy masks they're smiling they found a place in the world where everything finally makes sense it's great whenever a movie can still be talked about 40 years later and have people writing about it you know for better or worse and once again it's not like a movie that was intentionally like provoking in a way and like there were you know a lot of queer writers at the time that really hated it and really were pretty scathing with it there's a lot of directors that really love it this has to be one of the funniest things that i've ever read in my life quentin tarantino says that he was doing a play in broadway in 1995, and he held a screening for gay members of the theater community of Cruising, oh. which is so fucking funny and on brand for Tarantino to be like, All right, I'm going to fucking show these gay guys Cruising and they're going to fucking love it. But the thing about it is as a writer, I am God. Wow. Yeah. On one hand, it's like, yeah, I, I do wish, you know, queer movies right now we, that we we could get more kinky, kind of weird stuff, but not period appropriate lesbian dramas. 
I mean, I like those too, but uh, it just feels like that's all that's coming out. It would be nice to actually give, you know, some of these types of movies to like, if a gay man directed this movie, I'm, I would be interested in something, something like that or something that doesn't necessarily have to do with violence because I think something can be kinky and not violent. Raymond Murray, an encyclopedia of gay and lesbian films, writes that the film proves to be an entertaining and for those born too late to enjoy the sexual excess of pre-AIDS gay life, fascinating, if ridiculous glimpse into gay life, albeit Hollywood's version of gay life. The film is now part of queer history and a testament to how a frightened Hollywood treated a disenfranchised minority. All right, who's the MVP of cruising? I don't know. I guess Pacino, the protesters. Yeah. <laughs> because like, because like, I will say like by protesting the movie and making it sort of like a, like a media circus about that, like I think that it ended up where the movie got reviewed more thoughtfully, like with those in mind. And so kind of, I want to say that, like I think that the critical history of the movie is what makes it notable and it wouldn't have been without the protesters. So partially that, though it's extra textual. And I like Pacino saying that his dick is party size. It's a hard one to pick an MVP for. Like, I, I I like that guy uh, with the mask in the in the bar who's just standing in the back watching everybody ominously. I like him. I don't know what's going on with him, but I'd like to know more. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know because it's not my favorite Pacino performance. I don't think he's bad in it. By Me any either. Means, yeah, he's solid. It's not Friedkin. It could be the jock strap that he wore to the gay bars when he was going undercover. Maybe it's just all the guys in the bar that they got that were real yeah. patrons of those leather bars. The uh, I would love to just see behind the scenes of Friedkin directing those scenes. Um, I'm going to say that my MVP is the guy during the um, the cop-themed night at one of the clubs that mm-hmm. is belating a billy club <laughs> is the MVP because he really went for it. He really did. A lot of yeah, those guys really are the unsung heroes of this movie that went for it. <laughs> Apparently, William Friedkin, when directing them, just said, do what you would normally do. Final rating on cruising? Um, it's kind of a train wreck, but I also think it's a cult classic. Yeah, yeah I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I think yeah. I think there's a lot. I have a lot to complain about with this movie, but at the same time, I do think it's important that people watch it. So, yeah, in that sense, I do think it is a cult classic for sure. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's definitely a cult classic. Like it's already a cult movie. It's been re-released and shown in retrospectives for the last 40 years. And it's an interesting artifact of its time for everybody involved, I think. And yeah, yeah if you like William Friedkin, you want to watch all of his movies and he's made some bad ones. Yeah, I was going to say, he's made definitely, worse movies. So he's definitely made worse movies. This, yeah, falls somewhere in the middle, but- I think exactly wanna, in the middle. Yeah. I think that's like what is interesting about it. <laughs> like, yeah, but you know, French Connection and To Live and Die in LA, great movies, but that's cruising. Yeah. Oh, when we lied to our audience, because we said, right? We had to do a little switch up. We were going to do High Heels and Julie Newmar this week, but we had some, you know, we had some guest switch ups. So we had to, we had to post some emergencies. This week, if you want to catch up with cruising, you will, it's like, it's on every, it's like rentable. It's on the Criterion channel though. You can rent it Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. It's it's streaming. Oh, I didn't know that. It's streaming for free on the Criterion channel. Oh, okay. And it's rentable. It's rentable. It's everywhere. You can get cruising pretty much anywhere. So next week is our discussion of High Heels and Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. I'm really excited for that episode. Those are also both rentable on streaming sites. I don't think that they're streaming for free anywhere. But Casey, thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to do exorcism movies with you. I know. I'll be back. Uh, Is there a queer exorcist movie out there? There has to be, right? You got to write one. I don't know if you know this, but all demons are gay. So 
That's true. Fuck. And remember to the audience out there to stay rotten by following us on Instagram and just like reposting everything that we do, subscribing to our feeds on both Spotify and Overcast and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes because it's, it's, it's how you, how you help you. us pay the, I would say pay the bills, but no, it doesn't pay the bills, but the, my $100 uh, white man can't jump shirt didn't buy it. So, so thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Woo. <laughs> What's happening now? <laughs> We're fucking on the one. Listen. Give me-